nearing the end of our series, The Church, Which Is His Body. It's been quite a while. I'm not, I, don't, I didn't go back and look, but we've been doing this quite a while. And we've done, now we've done three series within a series. And this one is called The Dynamic Gifts of the Spirit. And in a moment, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul identifies nine or the nine gifts of what we call gifts of the Spirit. And we've worked our way through these gifts. And today, we will deal with the last two gifts, uh, which are the gift of tongues and interpretation. This always gets everybody excited when you start talking about things like the gift of tongues. Uh, the gift of tongues is probably the most controversial of the nine gifts. Uh, there's controversy around all of them, but this is probably the most controversial. And therefore, it's the most misunderstood and sometimes misused gift uh, of the nine gifts. Therefore, today, if you're a note taker, you're going to love me because you're going to get a plethora of scripture today. I'm going to give you scripture. Uh, lots of it. We're not going to turn to a lot of scripture necessarily. We're going to turn to some, but, but we're going to give and offer Bible. Everybody say Bible. And if the Bible says it, then that's good enough for me. Uh, I hope it's good enough for you. Uh, so you will see a, a more scripture than usual. And so if you're not looking on in the Version Bible app for the notes, then uh, take that bulletin and write down these verses as we go, as they go on the screen. You may want to look them up later. One of the things you have to talk about when you talk about the gift of tongues is that we deal with two extremes. And usually when you have extremes, there's always an issue. But one extreme uh, says that you must speak in tongues to go to heaven. You must speak in tongues to be saved. You say, well, I don't, is there people that believe that? Yes, there are people who believe that. When I was a teenager, I saw a track, T-R-A-C-T, of a cartoon of a lady falling into the lake of fire. And the cartoon bubble said, I didn't really believe I had to speak in tongues. So that's terrible. So that's one extreme. The other extreme says, now this is extreme, and says that speaking in tongues is of the devil. It's demonic. And uh, I would, you, you probably know this already, but I would not embrace either of those extremes because neither are true. Neither are biblical. And uh, so... We just, we need to settle and we, we will settle biblically today. Whether you accept it or not is up to you, but we will settle biblically today that neither of those extremes are true, but it is, a, it is a valid gift for today in our, in our world and in our lives. One of the problems with the, the gift of speaking in tongues is that we often we see it as an emotional exercise. And if you've been, you know, if you've been around uh, people, some people, some groups of people, and that's all you've ever seen, then I understand why you would think that it's just an emotional exercise. Um, we'll come back to that, but one of the problems with that is is that uh, what I call badge-wearing Pentecostals and Charismatics. And that is, they got this badge that you can't see, but the badge says, I talk in tongues, so I'm better than you. Now, you know, these, you, if you were to ask people that, they would never admit to that, but they act like that. And, of course, sort of the reverse of that is, is we think when we hear someone who speaks in tongues, we think, oh, boy, they must be really heavenly. 
Well, no, that's not true. I was just praying in the spirit up here this morning, and I can promise you that I'm not heavenly. That's my wife. And my children and my grandchildren. And anyway, we'll just stop there. Um, but the problem is, is when people feel like that there's some superiority attached to all the gifts and especially this one. Scott G. Bauer, the late Scott G. Bauer, who was the son-in-law of Jack Hayford, said, It is not for the purpose of a sign or the proof of a superior relationship with God that tongues are given to the believer. It is for enlarged worship, prayer, and personal strengthening in the things of the Spirit. We must always keep that perspective when we talk about this gift of, of the gift of tongues. And the other problem, and we'll address this today, the other problem is, is not distinguishing between public and private, the public use and the private use. Uh, this is probably one of the only gifts that there, that there's both of those. There is a public application and then there's a private application. And Paul helps us understand that if we look at the scripture. Now, last Sunday, Rhonda Cravens, Rhonda, I hope you don't mind me using your name, kind of too late, but, uh, <laughs> she came to me afterwards and she said, I want to thank you for demystifying these gifts. And I said, that's the best thing anybody's ever said to me. Because when, a lot of times when we look at these nine gifts and because of our experiences or maybe our misunderstanding or not understanding the scripture, boy, they become spooky and weird and woo. And when you start talking about speaking in tongues, woo, that's out there. No, it's not. It's not out there. It's just as normal as breathing. Just as normal as living. And we need to understand that there's no, there's no mystification with these gifts. Now there's a certain amount of mystery because we don't understand as I'll get to later how we can pray and the Holy Spirit prays for us. That's a mystery, but it's not mystified in the sense that we need to think of it as some spooky weird thing. So thank you, Rhonda. And I hope the rest of you feel that way too. Turn with me to first Corinthians. If you don't, I hope you'll get there. First Corinthians 12, 1. First Corinthians 12, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you would stand with me while we read the Scripture. And I'm once again going to read from the English Standard Version. Uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed, which is why we're doing this series. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A reminder that the gifts are the Holy Spirit manifesting himself. Okay. Uh, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And, he, and the key verse, in my opinion, is all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You can be seated. As He wills. 
So the first thing we have to address when we talk about the gift of tongues is that I believe this gift is for everyone. Everybody say everyone. everyone. Now there are, when we talk, and we'll get to it in a moment, when we talk about the distinguishing between public and private, on the public side of this gift, there are momentary exercising of this gift and that's individually, and, and maybe some operate in that more than others. On the private side of this gift, I believe everyone can and should receive from God the ability to pray in the Spirit. So we'll come back to that. Peter, when he got up on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the folks in the upper room, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. I think I have that verse later, but I will quote it anyway. And Peter got up and said, basically, this is that. Everybody say, this is that. He said, this is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. Now, last week, I think it was last week, we read the verse, but I will just read it again. He said, and in the last, this is in Acts, and the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say all flesh. I think that pretty well takes everybody in, don't you think? It encompasses everyone on the earth, all flesh. And so Peter, in his sermon, he says to them, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And we say to ourselves, well, what does that look like? What does it look like, the gift of the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked that question. And we have an answer. And the answer is not my opinion. Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things. By the way, Peter is preaching in the house of Cornelius, which is a Gentile house. Pagans in the old King James. Heathen. This is a Gentile house he's preaching. And so he's preaching the gospel to these guys. And it says, while he was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Everybody say all. See, there was no distinct, there was no, he's better and he's not, so he's getting it and he's not. Wasn't none of that. It, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, verse 45. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were amazed. Because, watch this, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. The gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like? It looks like the Holy Spirit falling on people, and the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So what does the gift of the Holy Spirit look like? Acts 10 tells us what it looks like. I hope you're okay with that because I didn't write the Bible. I can read it, but I didn't write it. So Peter continues in his message by saying, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, not far out. I know that gets a lot of us too. But all who are far off, and here's a key phrase, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Not just this day, not just this group, not just this room, but all of those who are far off in history, in future, the future, not history, but into the future, 
and all of those who God would call to himself. Remember, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Just never forget that. I mean, we say yes to Jesus, but we didn't choose him. He did the choosing. It's, it's for as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, I'm going to give you several quotes today from the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. And by the way, if you want a good study Bible, I, I can recommend the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. It comes in King James. It comes in New American Standard. I know it comes in the New Living Translation. I don't remember. There's probably some other. Ver, or New King. Yeah, I said New King James. Maybe I didn't. But anyway, you're going to get several quotes from there today. And here's the first one. Peter's words clearly extend to every believer in every era and everywhere. Full reason to expect the same resource and experience that was afforded the first believers who received the Holy Spirit at the birth of the church. No reason to believe any different. And you say, well, now, do you believe that this experience is separate from salvation? Do you believe it's a separate time that God visited? When we're saved, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who converts us. It's the Holy Spirit who does his work in the fabric of our being. And we are indwelt by the Spirit. But when we are baptized in the Spirit, that same Spirit, it's not a different Spirit, that same Spirit now fills us up and we overflow. That's what the word baptized means, is to be immersed. And God says, yeah, it's for you. Is it a separate experience? I'm glad you asked that question. And I have an answer. And guess where we're going to get the answer? <laughs> Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, and he came to Ephesus. And there he found some, you say the word, disciples. disciples. Okay, he found some disciples, verse 2. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, he obviously was not talking about the indwelling of, of the Holy Spirit, although they did receive that. But he was talking about something more. And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So then we skip down to verse 6. Same guys. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. It's most definitely a time after salvation. Paul writes in Ephesians, I don't have the reference, it's chapter 5. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense of the wording there in the original language, the tense that we can translate that, be filled with the Holy Spirit and keep on being filled. Somebody said, do you believe in a second experience with the Holy Spirit? I sure do. In a third one, and a fourth one, and a hundredth one, and a two hundredth experience because we leak. The same people who were in the upper room in Acts 2 4 in chapter 4 are in another house, and the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the building shook. Why were they filled with the Holy Spirit? Because they leak. Keep, be filled and keep on being filled. If if the indwelling is all we need, and it is all we need to be saved, let's don't make that mistake. But if it's all we need to function in God's power, Paul would never have said, be filled and keep on being filled. 
he would have been satisfied with the previous. Okay, enough of that. The second thing is there's this argument out there that the that 1 Corinthians 13, I didn't even put the reference up because I hate addressing stuff like this. It says, oh, let's see, what does it say? For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And he just got through talking about tongues ceasing and prophecy ceasing. And there is an argument in, or a statement, maybe not an argument, that says because of that verse, when the Bible was completed and the apostle John died, that was the end of that age and these gifts were no more. That, I mean, there's a strong teaching in certain segments of the church that says they have passed away. They are no more. And that's why they say, some of them, not all of them, some of them say that if so now if you exercise these gifts, it can't be of God, so it must be of the devil. Well, first of all, several notable early church fathers, Justin Martyr, who was from 100 to 165, Irenaeus, 115 to 202, Tertullian was from 160 to 220, and Origen from 185 to 254. Those are the years. Several of these fathers recorded in their writings in those years that the spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues, were still active in the church in their days. What's key about that? They were long after John passed away in the year 100. Long after those years, some of them 100, 150 years later, these gifts were still operating in the church. So the idea that they passed away with the death of John is not true. It's not biblical. Well, not only that, Look at, uh, you're in 1 Corinthians, turn back in your Bible or your device to chapter 1. I want, to show, I want you to do, don't just sit there and look at me, turn. I want you to see this with the dilated pupils of your eyes. Chapter 1, verse 4, because the, the argument is that the Bible is that which is perfect that has come, and once we got the Bible, then we don't need these gifts anymore. Y'all know I love the Bible, don't you? Okay. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any charisma. You're not lacking in any gift. As you wait, well, are we waiting for the completion of the Bible, the canon of Scripture? No. What are we waiting for? The revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, what he said, what he's saying is that we would not be lacking or deficient in any gift while we are waiting for the appearing of Jesus Christ. So how long are the gifts going to last? Until Jesus Christ returns. Obviously in the next life, we won't need these gifts. But in this life, we still do. I'm thankful for the completion of the canon of Scripture. I'm thankful for the, the completion of the 66 books and the identifying of these 66 books that we call the Bible. I'm thankful for that. But I want to tell you, that's not what we're waiting on. We're waiting on the appearing of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, until that time comes, I don't want you to be deficient in any gift. Now, you can argue with me or you can argue with Scripture. One of those you might win and one of them you won't. I'm so glad I didn't write the Scripture. And you ought to be too. 
And what Paul's dealing with is the problem with Corinth. What Paul's dealing with is this pagan, formerly pagan culture, and they've carried over some of their practices into their meetings and their church services. And, you know, sometimes sometimes we're not all the way saved. Have you met anybody that's not all the way saved? I, 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 we moved to Louisiana, and, and I went to work. When I first went there, we, I went to work for the cable TV company installing cable TV. And, uh, you know, the, the guy who hired me was in a church there that I later became the associate pastor of. And the guys working there were in that church. And I went in there, and, boy, howdy. I heard le- I heard uh, better language on the softball field. <laughs> you, you, guys, you guys are really Christians, aren't you? And anyway, sometimes we're not all the way saved. And when the, when the Corinthians were saved, yeah, their name was written in the Lamb's book of life, but they had some cleaning up to be doing. You know, Jesus said, if you'll catch them, I'll clean them. Amen. Fishers of men. By the way, on a side note, our problem is we want to clean them. Let God clean them. So here's this pagan culture where they're dealing with, in this letter, they're dealing with immorality. They're dealing with abuse of the gifts. They're, they're, they're exhibiting what we would call frenzied, frenzied antics of paganism. Uh, in, the, in their worship before, and that's what he refers to in the first couple of verses of 12, what would happen before, that they would get into frenzied, uh, violent behavior, there was speaking in tongues going on in their worship when they were pagans, but it was demonic and it was, it was a uncontrollable kind of a deal, very emotional. And Paul's addressing this and they, and so now they've gotten saved and full of the Holy Spirit and they've discovered, Hey, we can speak in tongues as Christians too. And they were going, excuse me, Buck, they're going buck wild. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and Paul's saying, we have got to have some order to this thing. Oh, Lord, help me not to chase rabbits. He was dealing with gluttony and drunkenness at the Lord's table. Now, next Sunday, we'll take communion. I pray that we don't have people getting drunk. And, of course, if you get drunk on grape juice, I'd like to know how you did it. <laughs> this is This is not... The world, this, these are Christians who will die and go to heaven. And he's dealing with this whole church. The problem is they had no boundaries on their public meetings, and that resulted in confusion. We said last week that God is not a God of confusion. When there's confusion, he's not involved. So, just a moment about distinguishing between public display and private prayer language. And we'll, we're going to deal with that in a moment when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. The private prayer language is a supernatural vocabulary which the human mind cannot understand, and it could be an actual language. I don't know how many times, how many stories I've heard, dozens of people being in meetings and hear someone praying in the Spirit, and they say, how did they know that? How did they know my language? They'd be from some foreign country, and there's no way on earth they knew their language, and it was supernatural. And so we identify and we must distinguish between the public display, and we'll deal with it in a moment in detail, but the public display of this gift is when someone in a meeting like this in in the appropriate time would get up and and utter a message or something in tongues, unknown tongue, 
and someone else would come behind them and give the interpretation. We were in our conference in Gatlinburg this last May, and a couple of brothers, a couple of good brothers that I know, let me just tell you, I know them very well, so these are not renegade wild people. One of the brothers is a pastor in St. Louis, got up and, and gave a message in tongues in the meetings. Those of you who were there might remember this. And then another brother who pastors a, a, a house church in Georgia, he got up almost immediately, took the mic, and he gave one of the, my goodness, one of the greatest words as the interpretation of that word. But then there's the private side where Paul talks about our praying in the Spirit. And as we go through an exposition of 1 Corinthians 14, you'll see this. I, I hope you see it. Everybody okay? Everybody ready to quit? Everybody ready to run out the door? Ooh, what's going to happen next? <laughs> oh, I'll not tell this story. Now, some of you remember Rebecca Pruitt. She first came to church here. Uh, there, you, back in the day, there used to be an overhead projector that sat right here. Amber, raise your hand, Amber. Amber used to be the one that put the slides on the overhead. And uh, Rebecca came first or second Sunday, and they said, hey, could you do the overheads? And they said, yeah. And, uh, and, and these vents must not have been fastened as well. Somebody had told her that this church practiced handling of snakes. <laughs> you don't want to go down to that church. They handle rattlesnakes. So she's up here doing the... The, uh, the overheads, and of course, the stage was full, at least as full as it is today, I'm sure. And people, you know, bouncing and carrying on. And, and in the middle of the service, a couple of, and they told me they kept them under here, a couple of these vents fell out and onto the floor. And Rebecca said she got the Holy Ghost <laughs> or something. <laughs> I'm not going to read all the verses, but we're going to go just do a, a, a treetop look through chapter 14. If you want to turn over there just so you can gaze at it as we go through it. But this is where Paul's dealing with this. Verse 2 tells us that those who pray in the Spirit or speak in a tongue speaks to God. What a great thing. Amen. Why in the world would someone want to stop me from doing something when I'm speaking to God? No good reason. Back to the Spirit-Filled Life Bible. Paul's assertion clearly establishes the primary purpose for tongues as the gift of the Spirit for private worship. It is a unique Godward and not a manward gift unless interpreted so the hearers may understand. Tongues are intended for personal prayer and praise to God. Somebody said to you, did your church practice speaking in tongues? I said, come stand by me during worship. Yes, we're speaking to God. We're praying to God. Verse 4 says, in speaking to God, one edifies himself. I've heard people argue, well, now we all not edify ourselves. Are you crazy? Yes. Again, Spiritual Life Bible, the use of tongues is a means of private self-edification. This practice does not denote selfishness, but rather spiritual strengthening. How many of you need spiritual strengthening? And for the rest of you, we'll learn from you. Spiritual strengthening. Jesus' own brother, Jude, 
writes this verse. But you, beloved, building yourselves up. Everybody say building yourselves up. So that's a good thing. Okay. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now this is going to include praying in one's own language as prompted by the Spirit, whatever that language is. It's going to include praying with groanings which cannot be uttered. And you see the verses. It's going to include praying in a tongue unknown to the one praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And that builds us, that strengthens, or here's what it does. It means to build on something that is already built. That's the literal translation of the word in Jude 20. To build on something that is already built or to build further. Every one of us living the life of Jesus Christ, walking in this faith walk, every one of us need to be strengthened. Every one of us need to be built and to build on what's already there. And we do, And one of the ways this happens, not the only way, is our praying in the Spirit, however that manifests. Verse 5 says, Paul desired that everyone spoke in tongues, but in the public setting he would rather we prophesy. He said, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Everybody say all. Don't you love how that word keeps appearing? I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but really what I wish is that when you got in the public meeting, you'd calm down that just a little bit because obviously they were going wild with it. Everybody just speaking in tongues all over the place, and nobody was getting edified because nobody knew what anybody was saying. And he said, here's rather just speak in, in, in the known language, prophesy. Now, Paul... Setting the boundaries of Paul on the operation of this gift, it does, it does not indicate Paul's desire for the Corinthians to abandon this gift. He's not saying you need to you need to kick that gift to the curb and just prophesy. He's saying there's a time and a place. But in the public meeting, if you want people to be edified, you can't just keep giving messages of tongues and over and over and over again with no interpretation. You Then give the message in the known language. By the way, this brings up another topic we talked about last week. Operating in the gifts of the Spirit is not when we're taken over by the Holy Spirit and, with, and we're un, we can't even control ourselves. It's not the Holy Spirit taking our tongue and wagging it. We, we, have, our, we have control of ourselves. I hope. If you don't, then we got some deliverance to do. Because that's not the Holy Spirit. That's the demonic spirit. Verses 6 through 12, I will read those. Explain why Paul encouraged the church to prophesy. He said, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner. To the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, a little bit of sarcasm there, I think. Strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, well, we'll come back to that. Well, we'll come back to it now. Verse 13. 
If one who, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. If one speaks out in the tongues, he should pray for an interpretation. Paul is saying that if there is a message given in tongues and there is an interpretation, it is the same equivalent as prophecy. Because now we have something that we can understand. Just giving a bunch of, uh, giving out a message in tongues that some would consider gibberish without a, without some kind of an interpretation is, he says, it's just like talking into the air. Or I used to say when I lived on the Gulf Coast, like pouring a bottle of water into the Gulf. <laughs> Didn't do a whole lot. Mm. Verse 14 teaches us that when we pray in tongues, our spirit is doing the praying. Our spirit is doing the praying. Derek Prince wrote a book called The Baptism in the Holy Spirit. By the way, I learned just about everything I know on this topic from Derek Prince. And I only met him three times. But I listened to his teachings many times. And read, read his books, still read his books. And he said in his book, Baptism in the Holy Spirit, he said the Tibetan priests have what they call a prayer wheel. Now, by the way, we're not promoting Tibetan priests. While they are saying their prayers, God knows who they're praying to, they are turning the prayer wheel. And the wheel is supposedly doing the praying as they're turning the prayer wheel. Derek says, and this is, you know, it's his take. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you begin, you become a kind of prayer wheel. The Holy Spirit turns you around and prays through you. And in Derek's words, it is marvelous. And if I could speak in British, I'd say it the way he said it. But I can't. I say it in Florida-ish. It is marvelous. Romans 8, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Isn't it great that the Holy Spirit, when we pray in the Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. I love her brother Charles say one time that he, you know, he said, I think what happens a lot of times is we get, we start praying to God and we say to God, I, I want this and I want that and I wish you'd do this and I wish you'd do that and I wish you'd, and, uh, and we get, they, then they begin to pray in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit says to the, to the Father, disregard everything they just said. Now here's what we really need to pray. <laughs> God's will. Verse 15 is a great verse, and the greatest commentary I can give you on verse 15 is to give it to you in the Amplified Bible, and here it is. Then what am I, then what am I to do? What am I going to do about all this? I will pray with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. So if I'm praying with my mind and my understanding, praying in the spirit must be not praying with my mind and understanding. I will sing with my spirit. If you've never been in a congregation where people begin to sing in the spirit, you, you're missing out on a great experience. I will sing with my spirit by the Holy Spirit that is within me, and I will sing intelligently with my mind and understanding also. I didn't say that. The Apostle Paul said that. He's distinguishing between praying with our understanding and praying in the spirit. Pray in the spirit, by the spirit. Pray with the intellect also. Sing in, in and by the spirit and sing with the intellect also. And in Paul's rendering of this passage, 
we see no sign of hysteria. We see no emotionalism. We see no abnormality in any kind in Paul's delivery. We see matter of fact stating the truth by the Apostle Paul. I don't, you know, what little I've read about the Apostle Paul, well, what lot I've read about him, what, what we know from the Scripture, he was not a, a person given to emotionalism. As a matter of fact, this whole chapter is addressing emotionalism. This whole chapter is Paul addressing orderliness. I like order. Do you like order? Verse 18 and 19 basically says there's more value in private than public. And I, I will read that just uh, because I can. Uh, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than, you, than all of you. Now, some of your Bibles there say I speak in tongues more than you all. That's a southern version. <laughs> he was from southern Tarsus. Nevertheless, in church, everybody say in church. That's a, this, the meeting. I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, is Paul, is Paul discouraging the speaking of tongues, even in a public meeting? No. He's trying to identify something here. The end of the day, there must be something in the understanding of the congregation or it is pointless. And he's saying to this church, I'd just rather you prophesy. Once again, they're in control. They're not being controlled by something. They choose. Verse 26 teaches us that all things are to be done for edification. And edification comes through understanding. Edification comes through understanding. Verses 27 and 28 teach us that orderliness is necessary. He says, let him speak to himself. Before things get out of order, let him speak to himself. Verse 39 is a key verse. He says, do not forbid. I'll read that one too. Uh, verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Verse 40, I don't have it in my notes, but anyway, says all things, everybody say all things, should be done decently and in order. All things should be done decently and in order. I think the problem we have with this gift is that often that it's not exercised decently and in order. And often it's identified with over-the-top and emotional response. Now, when God touches you and fills you with his Holy Spirit to overflowing and you, you, he gives you a prayer language, it may or may not be an emotional experience. For some people it is. For me, it wasn't. I was in a meeting. God, I just prayed, God, give me the gift. He did. I began to speak. And I didn't, I didn't get any goosebumps. I didn't run around the tent. It was a tent meeting, by the way. I, the preacher did. And he ran off, and I, you know, I, I thought he never was going to come back. But <laughs> I didn't care. <laughs> but I didn't feel any particular. But I know other people that they respond different ways, and you, you know, all of us have different chemistry, and we respond differently. But don't expect this to be an emotional experience. By the way, some of you in this room have received the gift in the past. And you haven't been exercising it. Let me encourage you. Begin to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Um, let the Holy Spirit do His work. It's easy anyway. 
You say, how do I receive this gift? And by the way, we're going to give you an opportunity here in a minute. In just a moment, I'm going to call the worship team back up. What time is it? All right. We may go on overtime today, but you don't have to pay me time and a half. <clears throat> how do I receive this? What's this verse? I don't know if you ever noticed this verse. You probably have. Ever. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish... Give him a serpent. That's just stupid. Can you say stupid in church? I just did. Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, and by contrast, fathers, we are evil, contrasting with the heavenly father. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. How much more will the Heavenly Father give to the Holy Spirit to those, what's the last three words? Who ask Him. Acts 2, 4, they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Or vocabulary. Do you, I want you to notice. Who was it that began to speak? They did. It wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking. It was the Holy Spirit giving the, the vocabulary. But they were speaking. And I don't get on people's toes. But there, you know, there's people been tarrying 40 years. Waiting for the Holy Spirit to grab their tongue. And start wagging it. And making noise. And it's never going to happen until we understand that we begin to speak the vocabulary. You say, what's the vocabulary? I don't know. It's the Holy Spirit that gives it to us. I say, man, this guy has gone wacko today. Well, I've been wacko for a long time. One reminder. Paul says, I wish... That you all spoke in tongues. Worship team, come. While they're coming, hear this. Earnestly desire the gift of tongues and interpretation. Earnestly desire. We're going to give an opportunity here for some of you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. You say, I'd like, to, I'd like to be able to pray in the Spirit. I'd like to be overcome and overwhelmed and filled up. Okay. That's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that may be what it sounds like in the Spirit realm, but I'd like to be filled with God's Spirit to overflowing, and I'd like to be able to exercise this gift that you've been talking about. It won't make you weird. Matter of fact, you may be weird without it. But I look around this room, I'm not going to say that. So, I've asked four people to come stand in the front. Miss Dixie, First Lady, Roddy, Phil. And if we need more, we'll get more. To come 
and let one of these pray for you. Let them pray with you today. They know the fullness of the Spirit and will pray with you that you will get there. You say, well, I don't know if that's me. Well, that's fine. That's fine. This is not necessarily a time to empty the seats, but this is your opportunity today to get more of God, more of what God has for you, and to put yourself in a position where you can pray in such a way that it will strengthen you, build you up, and at the same time, allow God's Spirit to pray the Father's will. Stand stand with me while the worship team plays. And if that's you, then you just respond to the Word today and come. wanted to uh, just say one thing. Uh, the scripture that he was talking about, if if you're a child that, that asks for, you know, a, a, a fish, the Lord isn't going to give you a snake. And, uh, and I was just thinking, this really is between children and our father. And uh, I used to, before I spoke in tongues or did any of that, I used to be so scared of trying because I thought I might do something wrong. I might do something to offend God and because uh, I'd heard all that stuff about false prophets and all that kind of stuff. And it kind of, it just kind of scared me to even try. And uh, and I heard Rick Joyner that, that Larry's talked about in the past. I heard him say something one time. He said, you know, God has made his house child-proofed. He's child-proofed his house. We're his children, and if we're wanting to please him and eagerly desire the good gifts, there we do not have to worry about doing anything wrong. It is child-proofed here this morning. So just jump in.